um, and continuing to minister to kids and families. And so we also have children's bulletins in the back, a wiggle and giggle room in the middle. We try to care for families best we can. Um, right now, our big limitation, um, really in every area, but especially in the nursery, is for volunteers. And so if you're not involved somewhere in the congregation and you know the Lord is calling you to be involved somewhere, I encourage you that that would be a great place for you to plug in. A little bit of how we um, protect children in our congregation and train nursery workers um, to be involved with children's ministry in any of those areas. Um, you've got to have been a frequent attender for over six months. Um, we do background checks. And we do things like making sure no kids ever alone with an adult. And so it's a little bit of a higher bar for nursery and children's worship because somebody could just come in and jump up and play guitar um, without doing a background check or anything else, which means sometimes people plug in in other areas of our church before they plug into children's ministry. Um, but we have a great need in children's nursery, especially in the nursery and um, in the back, um, especially during the month of September. We just have a lot of people who are transitioning in and out. And so if you want to help, we'd love to have you help. Um, we're jumping into this series on health. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2, we'll be there. Um, we're going to take a short survey of the Bible this morning. I know you laugh when you hear me say a short survey of the entire Bible, um, but I think I'm going to be able to pull it off. Um, where we're going this morning and a little bit of, a, of an explanation of why we're doing it. I talked a little bit about it last week. Um, I found in a decade now of pastoral ministry that it's very easy for someone to be a legitimate, true, Sunday attending, sometimes even Bible study during the week attending Christian, um, and yet not be particularly healthy. Um, they can do all of the things that's required to show up and look pretty and be in a community group and answer the questions that the community group leader gives, um, but often there's significant struggle with marriages. Um, there's significant struggle with addictions. Um, there are relationships between kids and parents that are just not good. Um, all those kind of things can be going on in the life of a Christian, even though they understand the gospel, they have a good understanding of the Bible, they're truly converted. And so there's somewhere in the church and the way that we disciple and the way that we preach and teach that makes it somewhat easy for you to sit there, give me my 90 minutes, um, and then leave and struggle um, to bring about change in your life. And so that change, what we're looking for, for people who we can use the word holistic, is health. I want you to be healthy Christians. I don't just want you to be able to answer a catechism question. I do want you to show up on Sunday, but I want more than that. I want every area of your life to be growing um, more healthy. And we're all going to have challenges. We'll continually have challenges. You'll never get to the place where you don't have any challenges or areas of growth. As soon as you get one under handle, a new one's going to pop up because that's the nature of it. I just want to make sure you're not stuck. And that's one of my jobs as a pastor. Um, I'm not like, you know, the NSA. I don't bug your homes. I'm not trying to like micromanage all of the different aspects of your spiritual growth. Really where I can help as a pastor is when you say, hey, I'm stuck. I need help. I don't feel like I've grown in my relationship with the Lord for a long time. Can you help? My wife and I really aren't talking about anything significant because there was this thing that happened a year ago and we still haven't gotten past it. We're stuck. Hey, my relationship with my teenage son or daughter just isn't good and hasn't been good. We're just stuck. And so we try and unstick you is what we're trying to do. And so what we're doing in this short series, four sermons, is to take a look at how the Bible takes a word like health um, and, and talks about it, maybe not using that language. And so Jesus didn't come to say, I'm here to make you healthy. 
Um, but he did say some things that had direct relation to health and the way that, um, that our culture understands it. And so that's where we're headed. Hopefully that's interesting for you. Um, it's interesting to me. It's been something that I've studied a lot. And this is one of the things where um, I've studied a lot and I know a lot about it, but I really haven't arrived. Um, especially during the last year, two years, it's been a huge area of growth for me. It's been a huge area of growth for Hallie um, and our own family. Um, I did biblical counseling for a year. Hallie did counseling for a year. And we just thought it was a really good time in our marriage and family to stop and take stock and say, hey, let's look in all the different areas of our life and see are some areas where we could shore up and we could bring growth and help understand why we continue to see some of the problems that, um, that we have. And so we looked at things like our family of origin. You know, how did our parents make us the, the people that we are? And so by no means have I arrived. I'm just in this and I expect to be in this for a lot of time um, to come. But if you think, oh, this is a topic that I'd really like to know more about, or especially like we said at the end, I'll give you a little health checkup. If you think, wow, I really need to work on X. Um, would love to talk to you afterwards. Shoot me a message on the city or an email. Sit down with me over coffee. Would love to help you um, move in that direction. It's changed the way that I preach. And um, we will go on after these four sermon series into the book of Galatians, which might seem to think we're leaving this sermon series behind, but really not. Um, this is just a topical look at it. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is actually talking a lot about health. So the first half of the book is, how are you right with God by the grace of Jesus? And the second half of the book of Galatians is, what impact does that have on your family and the way you relate to your coworkers and all of the different other aspects of life? So that was a little bit of an introduction. Um, to where we're going over the course of this series. Like I said, hopefully it's of interest to you. Um, even if you want to, if you hear today's introduction, if you think, wow, I really hope he hits X over the course of this series, um, write me a note, give me, um, send me an email or something, um, and I'll make sure it shows up somewhere over the course of, um, of the next three Sundays um, to come. And so um, where we will be, we will start off in Genesis 2, and um, we're going to be in Genesis and John. We're going to start off Genesis 2, we're going to hop to Genesis 3, then we're going to John 10 and 11. And it seems like a lot of hopping. It covers um, close to 7,000 years um, between that hop. But what I hope that you'll see is how God created us and intended us to live, what happened when sin entered the world, and how Jesus has brought remedy to that through his own life, death, and resurrection. Pretty simple, right? Good. Um, because what happens is a lot of times we have concepts, but they're not in the right bins in our head. Um, if you have organizational bins, um, I'm a pile organizer at my house. If you walk into my office, I have a bunch of piles everywhere. It looks like a complete wreck, but I can tell you what is in each pile. Um, and I've just made the math that the time that it would take me to put them even more organized than that is the time it would take me to find it in whatever pile that I need. Um, a lot of times that's what happens in our heads. And so what I hope to do is take issues like conflict, relational growth, physical health, addiction, vocation, and to put it in the right biblical category. Because I know it's up there somewhere. I just hope to put it where it needs to be in your head. And so that's where we're going this morning. And so I'll read a few verses. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in um, your own Bibles. This is Genesis 2, the word of our God, um, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's Genesis 2, 15 to 17. 
Genesis 3, 8 through 19 says this. This is after Adam decided to eat of the tree anyway. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your face you shall by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, if you flip all the way to John 10.10, Jesus is having a discussion um, about what it looks like to be a true pastor and true shepherd. And um, he talks about false shepherds and then talks about himself. And this is what he says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then just a chapter later in John 11, you have Jesus talking to one of Lazarus' sisters. Lazarus is dead, is not resurrected yet. Um, The sister is saying, hey, I believe one day, Jesus, that there's going to be a resurrection where my brother will rise again, so I have hope. And then Jesus does this crazy thing he does sometimes um, where he makes this I am statement. He doesn't say, yeah, one day there is a resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. And this is what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Um, This is the word of our God from a few different sections, all of them pointing towards our gracious Savior, Jesus. We should pray this morning before we consider it. Father, we love you. We're thankful for how you've made us. We pray now, Lord, as we consider some of the challenges that we're facing in our own lives, that you would come through your word and teach us how there is wholeness and health that you actually want us to grow in all the areas of our life. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so that's where we're going. Like I said, a very brief survey of the different sections that we're going to look at, these four different Bible verses. And that really is my hope for you as you begin again into this, that you would think now, where are the areas of my life that I long to see change? If I gave you genie powers for a day, If you got to be, you know, God Almighty in one decision, you could snap your fingers and one thing about your life would change, what would you choose? That thing, whatever it is, is probably in an area of your life that you have lost hope about, that you think God is no longer at work in, that he doesn't care about, that's kind of a yellow police roped off area. God is, God is not at work here. 
He's at work in other areas, but not there. And so my, my hope and my, my really invitation to you is that you could maybe take down that yellow tape and consider what it might look like to remember again what the Bible teaches, that God is at work in every area of your life. And so with that invitation, we'll jump into Genesis 2, 15 to 17, and we see man, Adam, um, and Eve put into a garden. They are made perfect and sinless. They're given the capacity to enjoy God and one another and creation without anything marring that situation, and God puts them in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden, and gives them a perfect test. And so they are given life and life abundant. God breathes life into Adam. And what I want you to see, hopefully through the course of this whole sermon series, is that life biblically is described relationally and not medically. So if I say tomorrow you're going to experience death, you're calling your doctor, you're figuring out, do you need to go to the ER? Because the way you think about death is you think, my lungs are going to stop filling with air, and my heart's going to stop beating, and the synapses in my brain are going to stop firing. That is physical and medical death, but that's not the way that the Bible describes it solely. It's included, as we'll see, but death is different just as life is different. You think life, well, of course, I'm alive, I'm here, and my eyes are open, Um, my heart is beating and my lungs are filling with air. Um, I'm a generally healthy and vertical person. I'm, I'm alive right now. I had a, an old crusty professor who taught um, missions. He and his wife were missionaries for 30 years in the Belgian Congo. Um, they had a clicking language. They would click back and forth to one another um, and, and confuse all of the seminary students. And we'd always say, you know, Dr. Norton, um, how are you feeling today? And um, he would say, well, I'm vertical. And he would kind of shuffle along um, doing his things. And so life isn't just about being vertical. It isn't just being alive. It's having healthy relationships. And you see Adam experiencing that in the garden with Eve between God, a perfect relationship with God, a life relationship with God, a life-giving relationship with his spouse and his spouse with him, and a life-giving relationship with creation. Believe it or not, work was intended to be satisfying and fun and something that you looked forward to, not something that you looked to have vacations from. And so life defined in the garden was right relationships. Up vertically to God, horizontally with others, and downwards as a steward over creation. And God really gave Adam a perfect test. And the perfect test was, don't eat of that tree. I know it sounds very metaphorical, and it sounds kind of silly, that of all the things that God would give as a test to Adam to see if he could inherit life eternal, that it would be, hey, that tree over there, don't eat of that fruit. We don't know if it was an apple. Artists just started painting apples um, somewhere in the medieval period. It was a fruit of some kind. And it was only one particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And we think... Really, God, out of all the tests you could have given, it was that one, but it was perfectly designed because the way that Adam and Eve were created, they didn't have any need. There wasn't this like, um, you know, lay Mis where all of a sudden you, you have this need to steal bread because you're hungry and you've got to feed family. He had, they had all the trees, they went, tasty trees. It wasn't like that was the only tree and everything else was growing green beans. Like they, they, they were, they had, and there wasn't like a, a fight with his wife and, you know, Adam wanted to go overeat and he decided he'd go to this thing. It, it wasn't like all of a sudden there was this problem at work and, you know, they wanted to overshop and they wanted to shop from that tree. 
Everything was perfect. There wasn't problem or need. The only question for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eden, experiencing full and abundant life was, will you choose to worship God freely and so continue to know this paradise of life that you are currently in? That's the question. Will you worship me completely or will you decide to make yourself your own king and eat of the tree and decide to obey me? And you know what happens in the garden. Satan comes in and Satan doesn't come in and say, hey, listen, we'd really like you to worship me. It wasn't Satan worship, it was self-worship. He said, listen, hey, God's trying to keep something from you. That tree over there, I bet you it's really tasty. God doesn't want your best. He doesn't want your good. You should really just be your own man, being your own woman. You need to go over there and eat of that tree. And Adam and Eve in that moment, without any need, made the decision to worship themselves, to worship creation, rather than to worship God. And paradise was lost. And so if we're going to define life, we're going to say life is right relationship with God, others, and creation, and that it's fundamentally a worship decision. If you want to experience life, at the core of it is, who will I worship? And by the way, I'm old school. I believe in a literal Adam and Eve. I believe in a literal garden. I believe in a literal talking snake. Um, I think some crazy stuff that happens in the world. I think Genesis 1 um, is history. If you want to know why I believe that, it's like I believe everything else because Jesus did. And so if you don't think it's literal, you can go take that up with Jesus. Um, But I believe that that really happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam, as our head, plunged us into sin and misery as our catechism teaches. And so that was Genesis 2, perfect paradise, the decision to worship, experiencing perfect life. And then as we read... Eve decides to eat. She gives some um, to Adam. The way the story is written, it wasn't like um, Eve was just there by herself. Apparently, Adam was there. Um, Guys, if a talking serpent comes to speak to your wife, probably a moment that you need to speak up. Um, So if that happens, probably a moment you need to open your mouth and not be quiet. And so Adam's quiet. Eve eats, gives some to Adam. Adam eats. They've disobeyed God, and now they experience death. And you see it described in the passage, and it jumps off the page if we understand it rightly, but for our modern um, culture, we often don't get what it means. And so, what's the result of sin? We would say, well, the wages, of, well, we read this morning, the wages of sin is death. And we think, well, that's kind of weird because God says, as soon as you eat of it, you're going to die. And then we have you know, a number of chapters where Adam and Eve are still alive. So we think, what gives? Is this like a, a parent you know, disciplining his children and saying, you know, well, there's going to be a consequence for what you did and then kind of forgetting for a little while um, what had happened? Or maybe death is something different. Like I said, if we're going to go slowly through Genesis 3 and work our way through, you're going to see death described in relational capacities along the three lines we've already mentioned. And so God comes to hang out with Adam and Eve and he can't find them. It's not like God all of a sudden has become um, not omniscient. He knew exactly where they were, and so he calls them out relationally. He could have tracked them down. You know, he could have figured out where they were. Um, you know, in, in my, my years of parenting, I figured out that kids are usually more um, getting into trouble when things are quiet than when they're noisy. 
Um, and so when there's silence in my home, I know I need to immediately go find out where my kids are. You know, if, if, if there's noise and ruckus, things are probably fine. You know, if everything's quiet, I need to go find them. And so the Lord God comes in, and it's not like he's sneaking around the house. He can't find his kids. He doesn't know where Adam and Eve are. They usually hang out. They used to have a great relationship. Where are you? And you hear Adam now articulating a loss of right relationship with God. Well, I hid myself. Well, why are you hiding? Well, I'm, I'm naked. I'm, I no longer feel vulnerable with you. I, I don't want you to see me as I am. I'm, I, I'm experiencing sin. I really am experiencing what that tree said, the knowledge of good and evil. And now I know evil, and not just evil as a textbook subject, but I know evil because I've committed it, and I don't, I don't want to be with you, Lord. He says, who who told you you were naked, and moves through. And so God asks him, and um, really the, the first recorded statement between husband and wife here in the Bible, especially just after the fall, is blame shifting. So if you ever see blame shifting in your marriage, it is as old as Adam and Eve. And so um, God says, what did you do? And Adam's first statement isn't, well, there's this talking snake, and I knew I should have said something, and um, I didn't. He said, this woman you gave me. You know, Lord God, if, if if you hadn't messed up this whole Eve picking thing, I mean, it was like Match.com, and you just completely messed it up. This is not the person I should have. If it wasn't for her, I would have never been in this mess right here. You see the relational discord? Just, just so you know, husbands and wives, blame shifting isn't like romance language. You're not going to get very far with your spouse. You're saying, well, if you hadn't, so immediately, there's sin, and all of a sudden, the marital relationship is broken. They're only hiding from one another, but you also see physical intimacy broken, where they're not comfortable being around one another um, naked, and so they start to sew together um, leaves to try and cover themselves. I you know, joke somewhat, and, and other times, the, the first experiment in parenting, which we're going to see, ends up in one kid killing the other. I mean, so if, if you've gotten this far, parents, and all your kids are alive, you're doing a pretty good job if one hasn't killed the other one. Because that was what happened. There, there, was, there, was, there was immediate conflict along the interpersonal level because of death entering the world. And then the Lord God comes to Adam and says, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're going to now work is going to create sweat and thorns and you're not going to be able to work in paradise anymore. You're going to have to leave um, paradise. And so all of a sudden creation, where there's supposed to be this good relationship between creation um, and Adam and Eve, creation is now at enmity between Adam and Eve. It's difficult. It's hard whether you're trying to run a garden hoe through a garden or a tiller, or whether you're pushing papers and filling Excel sheets, whether you're wiping noses at home or teaching school, work is hard and difficult, and we don't like it because creation itself is against us. And one day, the fact that creation is against us, our own bodies will rebel against us and will experience physical death. So death entered in immediately into the relationships that Adam and Eve had because they rebelled against God and made a decision to worship somebody other than him. So you see, we're, we're, we're painting a biblical picture of life and of death. There was life and they experienced death and now all of us experience death wherever we are. And so as I've said before, your sin, your challenges are trying to kill you. That's what they're after. Satan is the king of death. In the end, he wants to kill you. 
The reason he wants you to become a little bit discouraged is because he'd rather you be a lot more depressed. The reason he wants you to be a lot depressed is because then he'd rather you be a little bit suicidal. And if you can get a little bit suicidal, he'd love for you to be totally suicidal so that you'll take your own life. He'd love for you to make your finances a wreck so that one day you become so discouraged under the weight of debt and discouragement that all of a sudden everything just looks like a loss of hope and lifelessness. We can go through the list. Every one of your little sins, every one of your little challenges is trying to get towards death. It's what every sin is trying to do. It's the natural progression of every sin trying to make everything look horrible and gross. I have a, a dentist friend, um, he does orthodontics, and, um, and he says every tooth, uh, every tooth in your mouth is trying to get to the front of your mouth. It's just, they're all trying to crowd in there and go from what looks to be perfect and pristine to just a jumbled mess of teeth in the front. When I did chemistry, I was at UVA yesterday, watched our team do pretty well, and walked past the chemistry building. Um, and one of the early laws we learned was the law of entropy, which basically says this, everything in creation is tending towards chaos. You have to exert energy to keep things from ending up in chaos. Your rooms are becoming dirty, your jobs are becoming more difficult, relationships are becoming more hard, unless you put energy into them and bring organization. Entropy rules the world. And so sin, all of these things are moving towards destruction and death. And if now we're going to start to bring that word in, we're going to talk about unhealthiness. Unhealthiness is the bent, the pull on everyone towards death. And so when we start to use the word health, what we're talking about is we're fighting against the pull of death in every area of our lives, not just, like I said, medical we seek a good and right relationship with God, a healthy relationship with God, we're pursuing to, to, to put energy in to avoid the pull of death. We'd rather move towards God who is life rather than towards sin and Satan who is death. When there's problems in your marriage and you decide that you're going to put in the work or you're going to say, I'm sorry, what you're trying to do is you're trying to move towards life rather than to experience death. And you've had maybe fights with your spouses or fights with friends where you just get done and you think, that just feels like death. Like if you could take that smell, you know the smell of death? It's actually a chemical name to the smell of death. What is, you know what the smell of death is. Um, if you could take that and use that in relationships, there's that same feeling. If you sit and look at, like I said, your finances, and it's, it's, a, it's maybe in your chest or in your stomach, it's this sense of just this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's the feeling of death. You need to fight against that, and that's what we call health. And so that's where we're moving. And so if we have one side, we have life, God Almighty, and on the other side, we have Satan and death and sin, and you're somewhere in between. As you're moving towards death, you're becoming unhealthy. As you're moving towards life, you're becoming more healthy. And so that's what we're doing in our sermon series, and we're talking about healthiness is moving towards godliness in all of our relationships. Unhealthiness is becoming more sinful in all of our relationships. And what we've seen in this passage is that it starts first and foremost with our relationship with God and whom we worship, which is why most of the things that our culture says is healthy growth in the end won't actually get you there. It wasn't that 
things were just fine with the Lord and all of a sudden things broke down with Adam and Eve and with creation. What happened is the relationship with the Lord was breached first and that wrought havoc into the other relationships. And so if we want true health and true wholeness in our relationships and our vocations, did my battery go out? It happens every once in a while. Thank you. See, even in electronics, we have the, 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 the pull of death and destruction and entropy. Batteries wear down. Um, and so what we're looking for um, is that we want to reestablish right relationship with the Lord and then see that go into the other relationships that we have for other people. And so I'll conclude um, looking at um, John, John 10.10. 10, um, as we said, Jesus promised, I'll get it again. Jesus came, and especially in the book of John, if you know John is an author, there we go. Jesus was talking, John picked up on Jesus' life um, sayings, and so John was very curious as a writer of one of the Gospels whenever Jesus said something like, life, I am the life, the way, the truth, the life, I am eternal life, attached to me and the vine, you'll have life. John just picked up on that language. And so in John 10.10, when Jesus is talking about the shepherd, he's realizing as John's listening that this is significant as Jesus talks about the place that you find life rather than death. And Jesus says, I am um, the true shepherd. And if you come to me, you find life. And as the text says, I'm life to the full or life abundant. Now, the way that Jesus was able to bring that, as we talk about in the gospel, is he's able to conquer death and the pull and claim that death had on us, and so give us as a gift life. And so he experienced our punishment for sin on the cross. He experienced death himself, and he experienced death in the three ways that we've already talked about. And so for a moment on the cross, his relationship with the Father was broken on our behalf. So he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the second person of the Trinity to call out to the first person of the Trinity, why have you forsaken me? We have to note that something significant has happened. Jesus has experienced a breach between God that he never should have experienced because he's the only one that's had a perfect relationship with God between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's there all alone. Nobody's with him. All of his disciples have fled. Jews and Romans both spitting on him, hating him, killing him. His relationship with other people has now broken and been breached. His relationship with creation itself has been breached so that his incarnate body will bleed and die through crucifixion. Jesus experienced death, not just medical death, he experienced biblical death for his people. And in his life and in his resurrection, he met the requirements for God to give us life as a gift. So as we come to God, God doesn't just say, your sins have been wiped clean, but why should I give you this gift? How have you earned it? We would say, I haven't, but Christ has earned it on my behalf. And so God gives it to us because Jesus has fulfilled the law in full. So he can say crazy things like, I've come to give them life. He can say even crazier things as we move to our last verse in John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Now you don't get some of the crazy of that. I mean, that, that's really crazy unless it's true. 
I mean, when I was at the UVA game yesterday, I was, I was longing for victory, you know, really want to have victory over UCLA, that'd be great. But somebody would look to me crazy if I said, I am the victory. You know, I really hope to grow in knowledge as a husband and a parent, um, as a pastor, and grow in wisdom. And I said, really, but if I said, I am the wisdom, I mean, it just, it sounds silly unless it's true. And so Jesus came and he said those things, not to be crazy, but because it was true. Life itself wasn't just something that he gave, it was actually in him. So that through right relationship with him and the worship of him, those other areas of life begin to fall back into place. So if you've connected yourself to Jesus through salvation and faith and you're united to him, what we should expect, like plugging an appliance into the wall, is now energy will flow into it and it'll become functioning like it should have begun in the very beginning. And so what the Bible teaches is that Jesus has come to restore right relationship with God so that we would experience life first and foremost in that relationship and that it would then would filter down to the other relationships that we have, no matter where they are, no matter what they are. But the problem is right now we're in between. So for example, are you resurrected in Jesus now? Well, kind of. I experienced new life. Will you be resurrected in Jesus later? Yes, at the second coming, after I've died, there'll be a second resurrection. Are you currently beneficiaries of all of the treasures of heaven, currently possessing all of those as children of God? Yes. Are your bank accounts absolutely full and you're free of illness and whatever else? No. Are you members of the kingdom of God that currently is at work in the world, ruling and reigning under which all things obey the rule and reign of Jesus? Yes. Is our world still a mess with a lot of horrible things going wrong and things, sin and evil, still wreaking havoc? Yes. We're in this in-between time where we experience in part the blessings of being a Christian and we'll experience in full those blessings on the day Jesus returns for us or we die and go to be with him. And so the coming of that is the experience of growth in the Christian life And if I'm going to sum up and kind of put a bow on where we're heading right now, that is what our culture is longing for with the word health. If you ask anyone, if I take a microphone and stand on Davis Street and interview people and say, do you want to be healthy? I don't think anybody would walk by and say, no, I don't want to be healthy. I mean, most of our culture, a large part of our corporate industry is patterned on health. Whether it's, don't you want to be mentally healthy? Don't you want to be emotionally healthy? Don't you need to join a gym and be physically healthy? Don't you need to go to counseling or read this book to be relationally healthy? Don't you want to quit smoking? Don't you want to lose a few pounds? Don't you want to live long into retirement? Don't you want to have a retirement? I mean, all of these different things are just different aspects of health. And so our culture is trying to get back to health and life without going through Jesus. And we keep having these moments of disconnect. It's very interesting to me that we are so infatuated with the celebrity world and that we so much study it and know what's going on in every different corner of the celebrity world and we still want to be them. I mean, isn't that nuts? 
I mean, you know the tremendous struggles that celebrities in our culture have with addictions and relationships and all of those different things. And all of us want to be them. Isn't that nuts? We think somewhere, if I could be wealthy enough, if I could have some of these worries gone, then I would be fine and I would be happy and I would be healthy. Which is why things like Robin Williams' death shakes us so much. We think he's rich, older guy, funny, makes everybody laugh. Of course, that's the good life. But was it? It wasn't. And the Bible all along is whispering to us, at times yelling at us, if you don't come to Christ, you can't expect those other areas of your life to fall into place either. And if you come to Christ, he might reorganize what actual health is. It might not be outrageous wealth or health. It might be significant challenge or struggle. But as you come to him and find right relationship with him, relationship to other people and relationship to the world starts to fall into place and make sense. And even the places it's not starts to make sense because you realize that Jesus' kingdom is not completely here. And so biblically, if we're going to have this discussion about health, we have to talk about worship and who we worship. We have to talk about Jesus, but the last thing that we have to talk about um, is the fact that most culture is tempted to have a view of health that leaves God out, and so they've got it completely wrong. We tend to have a, a view of Christian growth um, that leaves health out, and so we tend to think, you know, if you've read the corpus of R.C. Sproul, then of course you're going to be a healthy Christian. If you raise your hands during worship, then of course you're a healthy Christian. You know, if you come in and you look like you and your spouse are sitting nicely in the chairs to one another and your kids are semi-quiet during church, then obviously you're a healthy Christian. You think if you just show up on Sunday, you're a healthy Christian. You think in your PCA, you're a healthy Christian. You think you're an Acts 29, you're a healthy Christian. We can go through the list. We've made some really bad assumptions about what it means to be a healthy Christian because all of us want to be able to present an external facade that other people will believe without prying too much in our lives and seeing our garbage and junk. Except for the fact that Jesus said, all of us have garbage and junk, and that actually the true Christian admits it and pleads God's mercy rather than pretends he or she doesn't have it. And so where the world won't go through God, we think somehow it's this over-spiritualized, believe in Jesus, raise my, raise my hands, read a book, and I can be a jerk to my wife. That's just not the case. The incarnation of Jesus, God Almighty, came and lived as a man. He showed that every aspect of life was valuable enough and meaning enough to be lived by God himself. So your emotions... Are important to God. It's important that you feel your emotions, whatever they might be. Your story, whatever it is, is important for you to process before the Lord. Whether it's a fine story of growing up in suburbia and ending up here, whether it's a story of pretty horrible abuse, or whether it's a story of having a lot of things that a lot of people didn't have, to be able to take that story and bring that to the Lord and say, help me understand why I am the way I am and the ways I tend to try and make life work without you because of my story. The ways that we handle our belongings and our bank accounts all matter to God. And so if we're going to be a healthy Christian 
and healthy Christians with one another, we're going to have to start being open with one another, another, that these are the areas that we want to talk with one another about and we need to ask one another about, and these are the areas that we'd like to bring towards the Lord and start asking Him about. I don't have all the answers. I started in ministry thinking that I would. Right now, I don't know a lot. But I do know that the Lord has. I do know that the Lord does. And so a lot of my pastoral counseling is just sitting on people and said, wow, that's a really big challenge. Why don't we ask God about that? Why don't we ask God what he wants you to do with where your marriage is right now? Why don't we ask the Lord what he wants to do with your kids right now? Why don't we ask the Lord what he wants to do with just sixth grade right now? Why don't we go to the Lord and say, we think you care about these areas of our life and we want to understand the the ways that Jesus' salvation and life affects those areas. We want to pretend that they're off to the side, God-free zones, and we're going to just come Sundays and try and make it looking like a pretty Christian until the end. And so my hope for myself and my hope for you in these coming weeks is that we can start to take steps in the direction towards honesty with what we struggle with and the areas that we long for God to come and work in. Because for most of us, we're just giving the Lord the Heisman in an area. I mean, we're just stiff-arming him. Like, yes, God, I want to read a book. I don't want to be nice to my spouse. Yes, Lord, I'll go to a prayer meeting, but I don't want to have a couple over for dinner and start to tell them some of the stuff that we're, we're dealing with. You know, yes, Lord, I'll go to Sunday school, but I don't want to have a budget. Or, yes, Lord, I'll join a community group and go to the Holland's house, but I don't want to do marriage counseling. We, we need to be a people who are willing to be honest. And I, most of you, there's this mix between terror, um, and that sounds really good. And, um, and, and let me encourage you towards the sound. That sounds really good. Um, vulnerability, as one author says, is something that we admire in other people and never want to be in ourselves. So somebody's vulnerable and says, I struggle with this. They're like, wow, that's great. He was so brave to share that. That's so awesome. And I never want to do that. So for some of you to be found out, whatever that means to you, to have your deepest challenges exposed is both terrifying and exhilarating. Because you could finally see, yeah, that's me. I have a need there um, that I'd like the Lord to work on. And I'm going to need my brothers and sisters in Christ to help. And so, so that's the direction. I, one of the guys I was meeting with, I was doing this. Um, I'll leave this as kind of my last illustration. And um, I was meeting with him. We're doing leadership training. And we're talking about how our emotions and how we handle our emotions affects leadership. Um, and so if I'm having a horrible day and you come and talk to me afterwards, after church, um, and I'm short with you, um, you might leave thinking, wow, Joe doesn't like me. And the fact of the matter, I just had a horrible day. Right? I didn't get any sleep or you know, something else happened. And, and how, how leaders handle their, how anybody handles their emotions affects their relationships around them. And so we were talking about that, and I was, I, was, I was sharing with them some of my family of origin. And the way my family was, like, we did not express emotion. Like, it was the one thing, especially as a guy, we did, we, it, was, it was not okay. Emotion was weakness. Vulnerability was weakness. We just didn't talk about it. And so um, for a long time, I didn't even know, like, what I was feeling. Um, I could study really hard, but I couldn't even tell you an emotion. Like, I had, to, I had to memorize what emotions were, which is a very studious way to try and get at my heart. I had to, like, listen, list them and what they were. And so I'm talking to this leadership coach, and we're working through it. Um, and, and I ask him, like, all right, what are the top three books that I need to read on this? Um, and he turned to me and said, Joe, you know you're not going to read your way out of this, right? And, and I turned back to him and said, no, I, I don't know that. I actually think that I can read my way out of this. 
And he said, relationships got you into this, and relationships are going to get you out. Um, and so whatever you're dealing with, whatever that challenge was that you started with, relationships got you into that. And it's going to be relationships that get you out. And so you're not going to hunker away like some monk in a monastery, do all of your health stuff, and then come out like super Christian. You're going to risk vulnerability with someone else. And they may reciprocate well or not, but you're going to begin risking in relationships. And you're going to risking in your relationship with the Lord to start to be honest with him about what you're dealing with. Um, and that's what it's going to look like as growth begins to happen because you're actually going to be honest about um, truth. And that may be the last thing as an encouragement to you. Whatever that, um, that area or challenge was, um, I, I give you the homework to start to risk with the Lord. What I find with people and in my own self, what I, the way that I pray is I kind of like sort out all of my stuff um, and figure out what I want to pray to the Lord about. And then I kind of scurry over to the Lord and say, this is a list of things that I'd like to talk to you about. Um, and, and I don't do that in any of my other relationships. Um, if I put out an agenda every time I met with Hallie and had a discussion with her, that would feel really kind of forced and artificial. You might think if I always want to, oh, this is what I want to talk to you about, and I pull you know, my whoever po- out of my pocket on Sunday morning and go through the list, it would be very transactional and kind of forced. Um, what does it look like on the messy side of I don't know what's going on and this is kind of the things I'm dealing with to say, Heavenly Father, um, this area of my life hurts and it's dark and confusing and I don't understand what to do and I don't know what the next step is. But you do and I need your help. And I know you don't love me when I solve this. I know you love me now and that you're delighted in me and that the reason this is coming up now is because you want me to work in it. I want to walk with you through it. Would you help me? That'd be an example of an honest prayer rather than a Heavenly Father, I've decided that this is the issue you've brought before me. I have a nice list of things that I'd like to do. And at the end, I'd like you to baptize my plan that I have for my life of holiness and happiness. One's honesty, one's trying to control and manipulate. So I want to encourage you in that direction. Um, If you're completely just disconnected from this series, and this sounds horrible to you, um, I encourage you to stick around for the next three Sundays um, and listen. We're going to go through those three categories. We're going to go through relationship with God. We're going to go through relationship with one another and hit some key relationships like friendships, marriage, family of origin, um, and children. We'll close up with relationship with creation. We'll talk about things like finances and stewardship, addiction, um, food, body stuff, um, and that's where we're in. And so that's where we're headed. Um, hopefully that was enough to pique your interest. I'm going to pray for us, and, um, and then we'll go um, and sing and eat at the Lord's Supper. Father, we love you. We're thankful so much that you didn't just save us and say, good luck, see you when you die but that you've become to us a father and a friend, a comforter, a savior, a teacher. And so, Father, would you conform us more to the image of Jesus? If there are conversations we need to have as a congregation or as individuals, would you give us a a push in that direction? Father, if folks here are isolated and don't have any friends that they can talk to, I pray that you would bring friends into their lives. Or if there are folks here who are stuck and have been stuck for a really long time, I pray through your Holy Spirit and with their eyes on Jesus that you would get them unstuck. We love you, Lord. We give you our entire lives, and we ask that you would do your good work. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Won't we stand and respond by singing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.